You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back. Welcome into Country Roads Confidential at Earsports.com, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. I am Mike Casaza. It is Wednesday. This is an emergent edition. Not emergency, certainly urgent. National Signing Day, which is news in Ann Arbor, Michigan, perhaps, but not in Morgantown. Some activity, but Chris Anderson, I dropped my head and smiled because as we have long prophesied and, and poked fun at coaches for, we have a coaching transaction on signing day. It's usually the day after. Jared Parker packs his office up, goes to Notre Dame. He'll be the tight ends coach, reunited with the head coach, Marcus Freeman, who he knows from Purdue. However, pour some water on the cynic in me. As you and I have found out, this is not something that was in motion for a long time and just was announced today. This sounds like this is very 11th hour. Yeah, a lot of times when you see this happen with a guy announcing that he's leaving, or, I mean, he didn't announce, Parker had announced, but it was broke today that he was leaving. It's kind of been an open secret behind the scenes that he was leaving. It's been in the works for a while, so on and so forth. This is not one of those instances. Every bit of info I've gotten and and from you and I talking before we hopped on here, uh, info you've gotten as well indicates that this was open and shut in like 24 to 36, 48 hours maybe. Uh, interview was yesterday, Tuesday, the day before National Signing Day, and things kind of got finalized and done. I mean, I'm I'm told that certain people – within the program found out about it close to midnight last night. Late that was, last night. That was when was they told. found out. Yeah. Late last night, not last night, not Tuesday, but late last night. Yeah. And we're talking here right about two o'clock on Wednesday afternoon in official capacities. Not a whole lot of people over there know about it. Right. Yeah. I mean, we, I don't, my understanding is that some of the players today, the current players on the team, we're finding out the news from the reports from our Notre Dame site, Tom Loy over at Irish Illustrated, you know, that when they reported it on Twitter and when we were retweeting it and following up on it, that was when players on the team found out about it mm -hmm. was at that point for some of them, some of them, again, a few of them found out late, 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 late last night. And some others are finding out this morning as it, as it was breaking. You know how I found out. How's that? From you, <laughs> well, DM, holy uh -huh. cow, because uh, yeah. I think that we had suspected this was coming, and I I can go back to whether it's threads or stories or even podcast content from us. But when they brought in Graham Harrell, and they let's be polite, but let's be honest, they demoted Jared Parker. I know we got a title and everything, but title is just words on a paper. Sometimes um, we kind of thought that there would be people out. And that was always one that I thought would be out. It's, it's just a hard thing to do to say you can't do your job here anymore, but continue to work here. That's hard. It, it's hard on the person to accept that and to go in. And also, it's hard for that coach to be in front of his players after he's been told you can't do your job here, but continue to work for us. Just imagine trying to tell receivers what to do. That can be difficult. I'm not sure how difficult it would be. I, I think it's fair to say that there had been some discontent with receivers. Um, there, there are certainly anecdotes that we could share or we have shared about some of that and players who transferred 
a number of them were receivers. And then a, play, a couple of players who were on the fence, a number of them were receivers. That's not coincidental. Some of that has to do with their quarterback. I think some of that has to do with the position coach. That's all stuff that if they're willing to share, they can share it. I would, I would, I would watch Twitter and Instagram and see the reaction of this from some players. I'd be curious to see if it comes out or if it's something like, hey, thanks for everything. Best of luck in the future. I don't know. We'll see. But I think this is one that we kind of thought was going to happen. It did happen, not necessarily under the circumstances we thought. Again, we, we, we cynically say that 10 days before signing day, something will get done and won't get announced until signing day. So that did not happen here by the information we have, but not terribly surprising. And then this still just makes me think that there are moves to be made that, you know, they're going to have to bring in someone to fill that spot. I don't necessarily think it has to be a receivers coach. They can certainly move some things around still. Um, this might be just kind of like picking late in the first round or late in the draft. And you go out and you get the best available guy for your staff and you make it work. You can do that. Because I think that – I just think that like everybody who's on the staff for Harrell is kind of on a one-year deal. I mean, they literally are unless they, you know, surreptitiously extend the contracts again. But everybody's probably on a one-year contract with him. And he might not get the perfect guy to coach receivers right now. But if he gets the guy that's out there, it's the best for what he wants to do. That might make more sense than you reassess after the season. So I don't think you have to necessarily go out and, and do your searches for, okay, who's a receivers coach that he has a history with? It might be a tight ends coach. It might be a running backs coach. Who knows? Um, and then what this means for Sean Reagan, who, as we've been told from inside the program, is likely to stay as a tight ends coach. And is he's recruiting. He's talking to tight ends. He's serving as that tight ends coach when he talks to people. That hasn't been finalized or formalized or announced, which – Again, I'm asking probably a lot from them to do something like that because they're just not interested in it. But some clarity there is not present. So I don't even know what Sean Reagan's deal is right now. But his flexibility, that might have something to do with who Harold hires here. So perhaps Reagan becomes a receivers coach and Harold hires a tight ends coach. Perhaps Harold hires a running backs coach and Chad Scott, who's coached tight ends before, goes to tight ends. This There's a whole lot here. It's It's like a who and a what, what they do next and who they hire. I just think it's about finding the best person right now. Would you agree or disagree? I agree. I, I I don't think you have to be pigeonholed into needing a wide receivers coach. You don't. But, I mean, Harold does have a lot of connections in that department. He'll have a lot of guys that he can look at. Um, and, again, not just at receivers, but he'll have guys that, that have coached running backs, that have coached tight ends. And, like you said, there's some flexibility on this staff with a few of those guys that are there. Um so it's the, the timing makes it difficult and the basically no notice makes it difficult because that that's the part of the reason that schools are okay with not, you know, spilling it out when one of their co assistant coaches is leaving. Like say, for instance, if this, if this had been in the works for two weeks and it just stays silent till signing day, part of the reason the school is okay with that, because at the same time that their assistant coach is slowly walking out the back door they're also slowly sneaking in someone else the other back door to interview and look for replacements in this case it's the day before signing day the night midnight moments before signing day officially starts and and, and he's gone and west virginia is now i don't want to say scrambling and, there, and then again this is nothing on parker i'm going to get to this in a second this is nothing on parker or how he's leaving it, it was quick uh it wasn't like notre dame reached out to him, and he kept it secret from West Virginia. Notre Dame just reached out the other day. So this was all quick and can't really blame him. Um, that's that's the other angle to this because demoted is the right word, for one. 
two, I, I'm trying to put myself in his shoes and think of a, a similar situation where just imagine you are the offensive coordinator, but you're not. And then you get blamed for the failures of the offensive coordinator and then get demoted and they bring in someone else to be offensive coordinator and you have to answer to them. Because if everybody will recall, it wasn't Jared Parker that was calling plays for most of the year, most of the field. However, whatever secrecy, secret game plan was going on between everybody passing the, the play call sheets around. But all information, all intel says that for the most part, it was not his offense. It was not his play calling. And he kind of took the hit for that. For, for the failures of the offense, even though it wasn't his play calling, which is a tough pill to swallow, I can imagine. Like, I get, you're kind of getting blamed for something that's not your fault and getting replaced with someone else. And then that other person gets, seemingly, is going to get full reins of the offense and play calling, something that you probably thought you were going to have. Um, so I, I do not, in any way, blame Jared Parker for wanting to leave in this situation. A great point. And to that, let me add two things. And it's hard to add to that because it is very sound and solid. But what type of footing is he going to have in the meeting room with Graham Harrell? Right. Like if he's if he's going to throw in a well, actually, Graham blank, it's going to be hard to for for Harrell to take that, even if like perceptionally or realistically, I just think that's going to be a difficult thing to do sometimes. And I mean, he may have great ideas that don't get listened to. He may have great ideas that he doesn't author offer because of the situation. Like there's a hierarchy there that's been established. I mean, it's very clearly been established. So that's difficult. And the two things I'll say about him that are kind of postscripts for him, he never got credit for things that he did that were good. And he did. You could you could shoot arrows at him for a number of things. I think it's a small number, but I'm sure people think that he could have recruited better at his position or nationally. I'm sure people think that when he did have the range of the offense, it could have been better. It could have been more explosive. We can probably add to that list. That's not my point right here. My point is that two years ago, the red zone offense was very good at times. I wrote about this, and then I tripped and fell into the explanation about how Jared Parker took over the play calls in the red zone. Like, Jared Dagey said that in a press conference. Jared Parker never got patted on the head for that. It was always, he he's a soldier there in that regard where he said, well, it's a collective effort and this and that, but television broadcast crews, other reporters kind of picked up and prodded at it and found out that, yeah, this is kind of a, a share and then that Parker's either Parker's plays or Parker's calls, whether he made the calls or he gave the calls that Brown made because he put them in the game plan. They were different in the red zone and the red zone was good. Never got credit for that. It was always kind of awkward this season. Open week happens. There is a clear shift in the offense. Kirk Sherrock is on the field. Jared Parker's calling plays in. You can tell Neil Brown is not involved. And when given the chance to, again, pat someone on the head, it didn't happen. No one ever really got credit for that. No one ever got clarifications as to who was in charge of the offense and what was happening. That was that whole press conference is awkward. And I think about that now. We're like, all right, I just got demoted. They gave me a title. They said, you can't do your job here anymore, but continue to work here. That first time that doorbell rings, Chris, it's really hard not to be infatuated with who's on the other side of the eye hole. And this kind of goes back to something that we've talked about a lot on this podcast. When you name everyone a coordinator, and everyone an associate AD or a co-coordinator or whatever, nobody is. 
when you try to make everybody special or or however you want to put it, nobody is. And I, I think that's where we got to got to get the, the the things have to get back to a, a clear hierarchy of who's in charge and and whose scheme it is and whose offense it is. And it seems like that is what's happening here. So don't get me wrong, it that that looks like it's going to be the case. And it seems that Neil Brown kind of had that uh, epiphany, whether it was his own or forced upon him uh, with the hiring of Graham Harrell. It's a good spot for Harrell, or for uh, for Parker. Yeah. A bizarre career. Was kind of like an up-and-coming coach, for sure. And then, I don't know what happened to him in the industry, in the eyes of the industry, but going 0-6 in that Purdue season, I don't know how much is on him, but they played better. They were close in games. He went 0-6. And then climbed up and climbed up, went to Penn State, did some good things recruiting. Their offense was okay. And then makes the leap here. And it just didn't work. And then... Did get the ball, had a chance to run with it. I don't know what could have grown from that. I'm interested if they said to him in the offseason, hey, let's just say, for example, they didn't go the full nine yards and say, you're going to go out and you're going to hire somebody. What if Shane Lyon just said, you need to divest your interest, Neil Brown, and put somebody in charge? And Parker said, I got it. Parker, he was good. He's promising. Let's do it. I wonder what could have happened. And and we'll see. So at the very least here, he goes to a new place. He's very familiar with the head coach because they spent time together, including that chaotic season at Purdue. And he's going to coach a really, really talented room. Tight ends in Notre Dame are typically exceptional recruits and then do very well on the field. He's going to have a lot to work with there. And that's a small focus for him, too. So it's a great rehabilitation opportunity for him. Where, I mean, how long do you think West Virginia has before they have to make a decision? Is is the deadline start of spring football? Yeah, I would say so. If you can get a guy in here before then, great. Maybe like a week before then so he can figure some things out and go into meetings. But this does not have to be today, for example, because of signing day. And then, let, let's be honest, there's there's probably a seismic coaching carousel spin about to happen, right? Yeah. You're going to see some shaking up staffs. Like that Michigan thing, if that does indeed happen and Jim Harbaugh's gone, you're going to see a lot of things happen. And, you know, people right now who might say no, no thank you, or not now, they might be available now. I've just talked to people who were kind of involved in the coaching search industry this afternoon. And and the one thing I say is that this could be difficult for Graham Harrell because if, if Mike, you are correct, and by extension you too, Chris, that this was just like in the last 24 hours and maybe he just found out last night, Harrell probably hasn't had a lot of runway to make a decision, which means like he's not, he hasn't been acting again, like in the cynical view that we have, knowing that he was going to introduce somebody the day after signing day. He just found out Tuesday night. Okay, so give him some time to do it. The trouble is that a lot of people that you might connect with Graham Harrell, and trouble isn't the right word, the complication, I should say, is that a lot of people you might connect with Graham Harrell probably just took jobs if they were unemployed or have jobs. So the people who d- just took jobs, it's it's a tough thing for a coach to move from A to B and then B to C in the same offseason. It happens, but... That, that does come with a stigma, I think, sometimes. A lot of other coaches might hold that against you. And even your current coach, because if you want to promote somebody, I like him, I'll promote him from position to coordinator. Well, how do you know that person who skipped from one school to come to yours is not going to be grateful for that coordinator opportunity, and he's going to go somewhere else. So that, that can be attached to you for some time. Number two, some people have good jobs, and Harold might like somebody and say, hey, what do you think? And to be frank, how long is Graham Harrell's position coach of choice going to be here? Because if they go belly up next season and they clear the deck, that's going to include Harrell and it's going to include the person he came 
to have find as the most suitable replacement for this, this spot right now. So because it's a tenuous situation where you have a sub 500 program with the head coach, it's naturally people are going to be like, hmm, I don't know. I got a good thing right now and I'm going to be here next year, even though there's no guarantee for that. I understand. But like it's how how thin is the ice that someone thinks that they're going to walk upon in Morgantown. So this could be tricky here. And, and I wonder if instead of like a, an obvious connection, you know, think about how strange, for example, the Doug Belk hire was. There wasn't much of a connection there, right? right. He was a really impressive person through Tony Gibson and Dana Holgerson's connections. And look at him now. He's one of the highest paid defensive coordinators in the country four or five years later, five years later. So it can happen. It doesn't have to be a connection. If you have contacts and you have people who recommend you, um, maybe you do a little bit better than Xavier Die. Maybe you don't do quite as well as Doug Belk, but you can find somebody out there. It's not an obvious aha. So I would imagine that they'll spend some time looking at the obvious ones. Harold probably doesn't have a very long coaching tree right now. That's not a slight. That's probably just a fact. He's been coached for a brief amount of time and has skyrocketed. But he might also lean on his peers and say, hey, got a position coach here I'm thinking of. Who do you like? And if the people that he leans on or taps into for advice, same with Neil Brown or perhaps other people on the staff, if they can come to a consensus about a, again, like a Doug Belk, that's great. So I, I would really open my mind to a spot like that. Someone who's going to come in and work and knows, hey, it might just be one year, but it's a power five job. And hey, maybe I do my job so well that we get two years, three years, four years. I know you mentioned the the idea or thought that somebody switching jobs, switching jobs, switching jobs again real quick like that. It, I, I just want everybody listening. Don't rule it out because it's already happened on this staff. Mm-hmm. Uh, for those who forgot, Chad Scott. Um, he was at UNC, was supposed to go to Louisville, and then West Virginia called, and then he came to West Virginia. Um, so I think that's something to to keep in mind. I know you you brought it up there a second ago, but I don't, I don't want to rule anything out right at this no. point. So anybody, even guys that just took jobs, don't think that they're not in play just yeah. because they took a job a yeah, month so ago. So I think one people that one person that might get looked at would be Joel Falani has a connection. Just took a job. Be tough. Would he say yes to Harold, who he knows from college? Maybe. But might he say, listen, I just took this job. It'd be really hard for me to move across the country into another conference, and I don't know if you're going to be there next year. That's tough, but it could happen. Really good point on Chad Scott. Um, Let's go to the other news of the day. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Let's begin with the news that didn't happen, Chris. Signing day. Yep. So diluted. We don't have a press conference or anything really significant now, but so diluted. We only had one name with a possible expectation of two. West Virginia gets left at the altar. And, oh, I don't know if I'm insulted or entertained by this. What happened? Well, so the the one you're referring to that was a maybe. Uh, kind of found out last night or yesterday afternoon that – Eastern Michigan kicker Chad Ryland chose Maryland over West Virginia. He had visited both schools uh, and also Rutgers, but I was told that it was basically Maryland or West Virginia. And to be quite honest, what I heard, and, and, and I heard this from, let's say, the, the College Park side of things, was that Maryland felt more confident in their pitch to Ryland because 
their pitch was, hey, we just lost our four-year starter uh, at field goal kicker, at place kicker, and he also handled kickoffs. Job's yours. At West Virginia, the pitch was, well, we already have a pretty good kicker. We've had a pretty good year last year, probably the best year we've had at kicker and at, or at place kicker in, in several seasons now. Um, but we really need somebody to kick it in the end zone on kickoffs four or five times a game. And, and yes, West Virginia does need that. That did have a big impact on the team this year, it, a negative impact because West Virginia was not doing that consistently. But when you're a one-year kicker trying to get, um, you know, improve your resume, your CV for the NFL, that that spot at Maryland sounds more appealing. And, and that's basically what it came down to from what I heard. And again, yes, this information comes from the college park side of things, but it it fits. It all jives with what's going on, what, what are, st- you know, facts that West Virginia still has a, a place kicker that had a pretty good year, and Maryland's looking for somebody to play a dual role. Do you think they'll go for a specialist here? I'm looking at, of course, your VIP article there about um, what they're going to do with their remaining scholarships. I mean, you say <laughs> not ordered by importance. But kickoff specialist is your number one item. Um, and listen, I'm a fan of special teams, but I really wonder how many scholarships can you devote to specialists because they have quite a few now, like an unusually large number when you think about it. Long snapper, punter, kicker. That would be four, I think, if they did this, right? Actually, five. Well, there's so there's definitely four, there's four now, and he'd be five, right? There's Brinkman, Straw, McGee, um, Leg and the, if they and leg and then if they added another kicker, a kickoff specialist, and then and the, again these are these are words from Neil Brown in a was it Metro News I think sports line state you know statewide sport line mm-hmm. uh, last month and he said they were going to use a scholarship on a quote kickoff specialist. So if they did, if they added another person, yes, that would be five specialists on scholarship for the upcoming season. You almost have to do that though if you're going to get one, right? Yeah, if you're if you're going the transfer route, definitely. If which is and going the transfer route is the best way to assure that you're getting exactly what you want. Now, real quick note on that, especially with the target of Ryland there, one year, one year. So you're not tying up scholarships long term. You're not tying up anything in the 2023 class. You are using one scholarship for this year, and. If you're using it on a one-year guy or whatever with that scholarship, I kind of get it with the fact that you are trying to find somebody that will have an impact on this team right now. Who's going to have a bigger impact on this team right now? That kickoff specialist giving you five scholarships specialists or a fourth-string defensive tackle? You know, like that's my pitch, and that's that's why I understand it. I mean, I— don't love it, but if you're looking for somebody that's going to impact right now and you're okay with just using it for one year and then you turn over and use it for the 2023 class on something else, I understand why you would go kickoff specialist for one year. I dig it. I can do it. And, and again, when you have the influxes here, you could you could do that. I would I think that's okay. Now, how many? This is also one that you could add after the spring and be okay. Like you might be hesitant to add a quarterback after the spring, just because the amount of time needed to become a factor at that position is much more involved at quarterback than it's a kicker. No offense to kickers, 
But if your job is to blow the end zone, <laughs> you know how to do that today, and you know how to do that in the first of August too. So that's okay. They have time on that one there too. Do you think they'll continue to do that, or do you think that they maybe that's just something that it looked like a good fit because they had an in with this guy, and oh well, it dried up. It doesn't work. I think it'll be one of those situations where, because again, there's seven spots left, seven scholarships. I'm not expecting any decisions one way or another for, for transfers or for West Virginia or junior college players, whatever for the next month. I mean, it is a true dead period in February. We have seen very rarely a decision in February, but I think it'll go into March and April and that's during spring ball. And by that point, you can get a better view of what you actually have on the roster right now. And as you noted, uh, and and obviously people enter the transfer portal more in March and April than they do right now uh, because spring practice is over. They realize where they're on the depth chart and they get out. But as you noted, if you can kick it out of the end zone, you can kick it out of the end zone. That's it. Like nobody's going to ask you to learn a scheme. Nobody's going to ask you to learn anything about the offense, the defense. Uh, it's, it's just, hey, can you kick it 70 yards? all i want to know show me some tape okay great come on up here like i think i think it could be that simple and if you're sitting there in april and some guy pops onto the transfer portal that consistently kicks it out of the end zone you say hey want to come here and do that for us great come on school is free we got fishbowl we got pepperoni rolls (laughs) come on down hey no hey don't don't start naming places by name over here okay i hear i hear mario's uh Fishbowl is is handing out deals now, so yeah, we don't name them till they start paying up. Just throwing it da- out there. Dante Local Stills could be out in Dante Stills could be out in like San Diego, eighty degrees on a beach, flipping tires, doing wind sprints, getting ready for the draft, and he's like, no, no, thirty six Cowboy Ranch, please, <laughs> and I'm getting paid. Yeah. Good for him. And listen, if he gets ten sacks this year, go to Mario's, thank him. Yep. Ownership, smart decision there too. What else do you think now in in the again, whether it's order of preference for you or the coaches here, but who or what should we be keeping an eye on? Because they haven't been very splashy in the transfer portal yet, but we've also discussed that maybe that doesn't make sense yet. And they're gonna have a chance to have people who are in the portal and aren't anywhere yet on campus. Spring football, we believe, is gonna start that first weekend in March, four, five, six, right? One of those three days probably. Right. Yeah. Um, so they could, you know, between now and then, how many people are going to enter the portal? Quite a few. Some of them could be welcome to come visit sometime that next month, perhaps even the spring game on, you know, the April 23rd. So there's a lot of opportunities for them to host and entertain, and they have a lot of handouts to give here in the form of scholarships. But also there's an emphasis on high school players who can come for those weekend practices. They're allowed. That's fine. Um, a lot of options, a lot of cards on the table. There will be more soon. We know that. But high school prospects, probably pretty thin. Junior college, they just dipped their toes in the water there. There's going to be some options, and obviously the transfer portal. Um, Breakdown positions, preferences, as far as where they come from. Uh, Let me start by saying a a close second or third, I suppose, is a playmaker at receiver. Somebody that the moment they touch the ball, there is a chance they could go 70 yards. I think that's something West Virginia has missed for a couple years now. But – the I don't I'm not saying you put all your eggs in one basket here, but maybe the biggest kind of prize out there for West Virginia, realistic prize, you know, two prizes in one 
uh, and I mentioned it in my article um, on Wednesday, Grayson and Gabriel Murphy out of North Texas, um, a bandit and defensive end kind of combo, two edge rushers, put them on two separate sides. They combined for 15 and a half sacks, 26 and a half tackles for loss last year, playing for North Texas. They were originally recruited by current linebackers coach Jeff Coons. Um, and they, when they announced that they were leaving North Texas, even though they were recruited by Coons and then Coons, and Coons left for Ole Miss before they ever even got on campus, they went out of their way to thank him for their time at North Texas. <laughs> and, I mean, I let's not you know go connect to too many dots here and look at too far into it, but that's something. And West Virginia offered a couple days after they entered the portal. You know what Neil Brown said they needed during that same radio interview? Said they wanted a high school defensive lineman, or they wanted an edge rusher and a high school defensive lineman. Now, obviously, neither of these guys are in high school, but they are going to be redshirt sophomores. They are going to have three years of eligibility remaining. So that's significant. It's close. Three is close to four, so it's not that far off. And I think you take both of those guys and you are absolutely – remember last, was it last podcast two podcasts ago where I talked about the highs and lows where if you asked me a month ago, West Virginia's killing it on the transfer market. Mm-hmm. And a week or so ago, they were in the, the nadir of, of their transfer recruiting. You add those two guys, you're back on top again. Like those two guys alone because those two guys are going to end up being two of the most coveted recruits in the transfer portal in the entire cycle. And if West Virginia can get both of them – it would cover two spots of need, and they have three years of eligibility left, and they're going to help right away. I think that's kind of your your ideal scenario is bringing in both of those guys. Playmaker receiver, I'm going to keep an eye on the Southern Cal transfer portal too. Just hmm. with them bringing in Mario Williams, uh, they sign a big time um, recruit. I can't remember his name now. C.J. Williams is Williams. Yeah, C.J. Williams, and like I just. That's two more mouths to feed there, and I'm not saying that their best receivers are going to go, but you figure Drake London's gone. Here comes Mario Williams. They brought in a really good receiver, C.J. Williams. How many of these guys are going to stick around and say, I had a chance, but you know what? My coach is gone, and this new guy comes in with a different offense, and it just invariably you're going to have people who don't impress. They're either not in or the coaches don't like them. I wonder how many of them might show up in the portal, and I wonder what type of an in that, that Harold might have with the huge obstacle being you're coming from Southern California to North Central West Virginia. I love it here. It's very different than Southern California. That might be difficult, but immediate playing time, a chance to line up at X or Z or H or whatever. I don't know. Who knows that, that position, that wide position for him is, is really important too. I think I just called it H, but um, that, that wide position is really important. If you can say, listen, you're going to come and get targeted a hundred times by one of these talented quarterbacks. Hey, that might work. We'll see. Um, but to your to your note there, to add on to what you said about Williams, Williams and Williams, mm-hmm. those weren't the only two. I mean, Mario Williams, obviously, West Virginia fans know him from Oklahoma. Uh, C.J. Williams, the number ten recruit, wide receiver recruit in the entire country for this mm-hmm. class. Also, Brendan Rice from Colorado, Jerry Rice's right. son, uh, was a starter there, and Terrell Bynum, a starter at the University of Washington. So they brought in three transfers who started at Power 5 programs last year, and the number 10 wide receiver recruit in the entire country. So, yeah, you're right. That is a a loaded wide receiver room, lots of mouths to feed, and could easily see somebody there 
that, you know, was recruited by the previous staff, recruited by the previous coaches, has a connection with Harold, being like, all right, let me go see what my other options are. I mean, no pressure, right? <laughs> <laughs> and then do you, the quantity of scholarships available here is healthy. The hit rate is concerning, I guess, just because the chances of going seven for seven or eight for eight or nine for nine or however you want to break this down here, I guess, eight for eight, right? right. Um, it, it's going to be difficult there. And and as we've proven here, you think like getting a kicker, that might be somewhat simple. It's not complicated because the number of players who can do that, the competition is pretty fierce. But what's an expectation for 2022 help where they need it certain spots and you can you can sort them as you like here and also people who are going to be you know in the program for a while and then over time help they'll they'll fulfill a role but maybe not something that's needed because you can see down the road x years from now hey we're going to need some perhaps defensive linemen and you just mentioned a couple but i'll just say that like maybe they don't need a big splash player right now but get some bodies in and they've done that already through the portal i get that but that's kind of my point what's the expected or what's the ideal split about people who can come in and help right away whether it's for one year or for a couple years versus developmental prospects because they do have that luxury well with the seven guys left i'd say maybe it's like four to help right away three for three that might be guys that have multiple multiple years left to contribute and maybe a red shirt as well so you don't have to force them onto the field this fall because i i think the strangest position for me on this entire cycle, or at least late in the cycle, was offensive line. And Neil Brown didn't clear it up any, because when he discussed it, 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 all the way back on signing day, even back in December, uh, when he met with the media, he said that they'd like to add another lineman, maybe a transfer, maybe a junior college player, maybe a high schooler. (laughs) Well, that's everybody. So that didn't narrow it down at all. And then they went out and they offered, right before that, they went out and offered two junior college players including one that could enroll in January and another that can enroll in May. And then I'm following up with these recruits and following up with them. And both of them like, Hey, they just stopped talking to me. Like, which, which happens, you know, you'd lose interest or you find somebody else. So my thought, first thought was, Oh, they found someone else. I need to figure out who this somebody else is. But then kind of my Intel was like, they didn't find someone else. They just didn't want to go that direction. So it seems like it's changing direction. And now I get the impression from people that I've spoken with that if they do add an offensive lineman, they're going to take a peek like in April, May. If some no doubt NFL caliber type tackle shows up, they'll take them. But so will everybody else. And it may end up being a guy that's like a four year transfer type. Another guy kind of like a Zyke Lawton, who was uh, you know committed for defensive line, who used his red shirt this past season and is a four for four guy on the defensive line, but maybe a four for four guy in the offensive line, um, which I get, you know, all five offensive line starters are coming back some good depth that they like behind them building up. So I don't necessarily believe that getting a surefire starter is a necessity. Um, it, it, it really just depends on how you feel honestly about Brandon Yates, which we saw some really bad times. Then we saw some really great times and then kind of ended on a sour note with the bowl game. So you got to wonder how they feel about them, him or his competition. That's already on the roster. Well, close here with your final point in your article and probably the most encouraging thing that Brown said, we're in a position where we won't turn down a great player. 
that's encouraging. And then again, the fact that you had this cushion and you can add due to the number of transfers you lost, and there's really no reason not to do it. You can't store them. It's not like they're going to be around forever for you. You don't get to bank them or anything like that. So um, maybe there's something we don't discuss here or we don't know right now. And maybe again, that's the benefit of not using everything right now. Would you rather added eight or nine people already? Maybe, but then you don't have quite as many. Um, I don't want to say flyers because you're not taking a flyer and a good player. But if you don't need if you don't need, for example, another running back, but there's a running back out there who looks like he's going to be great in this offense, why wouldn't you do it? Um, how how wild do you think they will or can go with that particular scenario? I don't know because I think the first thing that came to mind when he said it, and he said this, you know, mid January, was quarterback. And I'm pretty sure that's what he was referring to without coming out and saying it. I mean, obviously, we saw the the Tyson Badgett um, situation where he came up and visited the, the kid from Shepherd. Who? Oh, we was, saw it, Chris. Oh, yes, we, we, we saw definitely it. saw it in the Coliseum and uh, <laughs> <In> the student <laughs> section. <laughs> but his situation, as as we noted at the time, was going to be a little more complicated because he needed. Uh, the details are still sketchy, but. Multiple sources here and, and in College Park in Maryland, because Maryland was giving him a look, too, and had him up for a visit, or that basically he needed to take 30 hours of credit, 30 credit hours, which is, for those unfamiliar with the current setup of, of uh, the university, is five, 15 hours is a semester, typically, for your standard student, 15 hours for a semester. So he essentially had to take a full year of credit before he could ever step on the field for West Virginia or any FBS school. Uh, that's what I was told. Our College Park uh, compatriots told me something similar, basically that they knew that he there was no way he could even enroll in the spring, that best-case scenario, he was enrolling in June. That's just not something you want with a quarterback. It's a tough situation for everybody if they're not even going to be there in the spring. And so not just with Badgett, but with anybody right now, I don't know if you can do that with a quarterback anymore because that would have been my pick was quarterback. If you're going to take best available and the way he was referencing it sounded like, hey, don't sleep on quarterback. But a quarterback coming in in May, June, July to play, uh, you know, late August, first week of September, that that's a hard sell. Counterpoint. Okay. Because I have had a discussion with someone about this recently. What if it's a good quarterback? And what if he's not going to help you in 2022, but maybe he can help you in the later years? Because, again, you're not going to have these three quarterbacks on the field again next summer. You're not. I think that's fair to say, right? Yeah. So if you take a fourth, well, guess what? You've just replaced one that you're going to lose. And if that's a player who can help you, you just don't know about the longevity of these three. So I, that's kind of what I was getting at there. Like, would they do quarterback? Would they? I don't know. I think it's an interesting thing now, and it's funny how how all of a sudden we think that the timing of an arrival would work against that player, O'Contraire. Maybe that player comes in, in in July and says, you know what, we'll, we'll get you ready. I don't know, like Jared Dagey. Mm-hmm. And maybe you're our starter in 23. Maybe you're our starter in 24. We'll see how many years you have. I don't know. We know that they don't want to have anybody who has more than two years. Well, hey, if you have two years, maybe that first year isn't it. Maybe it is. Maybe you're ready by the middle of the end of the season. I don't think West Virginia is going 12 and 0. So there's a there's an opening at some point, perhaps. Maybe it's just four games, maybe it's six, but you have two years. And perhaps when one or two of the incumbents move along after this season, well, then you have one or two of the remaining players plus the player that 
you were able to acquire because you're not going to turn down a good player. Food for thought. It's good food. Is it? I wasn't sure what I was cooking up there until I spoke it into existence, but that's a conversation that I had recently, and I was like, I hadn't thought about that, and maybe it's just new. Maybe it's a new taste, and I like it, but now that I put it out there, I think it's something that you wouldn't necessarily say no now. Like that that timing aspect, yeah, that could work against a player, but just for the immediate season. Subsequent season, huh, why not? You're here for a year. You're going to be fine the next year. The next spring, you should be okay. That's the, be- that's the best kind of podcast talk, Mike, the stuff that doesn't make any sense until you pull it out of your your man bun and uh throw it out there top knot chris top knot excuse me yes i have no more do you uh, that's it for now surprising day Somewhat. maybe more surprising days coming up i don't know we'll see i appreciate neil brown just flat out saying during the announcement for cortez braham uh, again the one signing of the day signing day i was even bring up the one guy that signed uh pretty good wide receiver like his hands, good speed, good size. Um, I noted in my analysis that he's got to work on some techniques, some route running stuff, but that that's going to happen. You, you see a lot of guys at a lot of positions struggle with technique when you are just athletically the more gifted player than your opponents. Um, but I appreciate Neil Brown saying during that intro, this is the lone player we're signing today. Just kind of shut everything down. I, could, I couldn't even clickbait anybody for the day. Because Neil Brown shut it down at nine o'clock in the morning. The nerve of this guy. Not even no no news conference, no clicks. What is Nothing. he thinking? I'm gonna ask him about this the next time we talk to him several weeks from now. Yeah. What were you thinking? Always so friendly to our business and our website too. Great yep. patron. Could have done us a solid today. Oh well. We'll figure it out. Until next time, I'm Mike Casaza. And I'm Chris Anderson. Talk to you later.